0: It is this green? Okay. You want to use this one? Okay. Well, I must say that when uh, when John Clifford comes to Waterbury, he's got the record for the longest message. I think it was like an hour and 15 minutes or something like that. That's good, John. That's good. So, Revenge. Revenge is mine. Oh, that's the Lord. <laughs> well, it's wonderful to be here. It's always nice to visit other assemblies and see the saints there. And some I know, and some I don't know. But <clears throat> it really is uh, really is good to do that. Uh, this morning, I'd like to talk about the Lord's Supper and our pr- participation. Uh, as believers, participating in the Lord's Supper. So I'd like to read one verse please, and then we'll ask the Lord to bless this time, Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. Acts 2 verse 42. Luke who wrote the book of Acts, writes this in verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine and Fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Let's pray. Dear Father, Lord, we're so thankful for the Word of God that you've preserved for us for many hundreds and thousands of years, Lord. It's our survival manual, it's our guidebook, Lord, and we know it's alive and and doing well, always does well, Lord. We thank you for it, and we ask that you would bless us through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, um, I have three points I'd like to discuss about the Lord's Supper. The first point is, what is it? We'll get an understanding of that. Now, this may be repetitious for some of you, but repetition is good, I believe. Uh, the second point is, who is invited and Why? And the third point is, how shall we conduct ourselves as believers at the Lord's Supper? So go back to Acts chapter 242, and I'd like to read uh, the verse before that, verse 41 and 42 again. Then those who gladly received his word, that would be Peter's word, were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Brand new church. The birth of the church. 3,000 souls were added. How would you like to have a meeting like that sometime, right? 3,000. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. So this is the, this is the birth of a new organism. Not an organization. An organism is alive. And the church is alive. That word church was never heard about in the Old Testament at all. And Jesus, the first time you hear that is when Jesus uh, said, upon this rock, meaning himself, I will build my church. This is the actual birth of the church. And if you go back and read chapter 1 and 2, you'll see a great narrative on what took place during that time. The Holy Spirit was given at that time. And it was a miracle because people began speaking in other tongues. Uh, they were from all different areas of the, of the world, Jewish people, but they had different dialects. And yet, what they spoke in these foreign tongues, but they all heard in their own tongue. It was an amazing miracle. And some said that they were drunk. And they said, how can Peter stands up and say, how could they be drunk? It's only 9 a.m. We don't drink at 9 in the morning. So Peter explains that to them, and they gladly received his word, and 3,000 were saved. And then they continued steadfastly in these four things. Well, the first, the first of the four uh, practices of the new church is the Apostles' Doctrine. That would be teaching. That's what we're doing right now. We're presenting God's word. Then they continued steadfastly in fellowship. Any, all believers gathered together. They had many things, all things in common. Uh, they, were, they were in unity of spirit, unity in terms of community, partnership. Uh, they loved one another. There's a, probably some social aspect in that fellowship component. And they were steadfastly continuing in the breaking of bread, it says. Which here, where it says breaking of bread, that's really an expression of the Lord's Supper. An expression which means the same as the Lord's Supper. But if you glance down to verse 46, it says, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. That was the common meals that they were having together. And so I'm sure they had great fellowship with these common meals but it's different. that's a different breaking of bread than the Lord's Supper. And finally, they continued steadfastly in prayers. That would be requests or thanksgiving, praising God for what he has done. And it speaks more of the corporate prayer meeting rather than individuals going into their prayer closet and having prayer. But they continued steadfastly together in unity. And those four components... So if you ever go to another church, I hope everybody is in happy fellowship here, but if you ever did go to another church, no matter where you go, if it doesn't have those four, you are not in a New Testament Bible church because that's what the Bible tells us that they did steadfastly, and that's what we do as well. So our focus today is really on the Lord's Supper. So the first point is... Well, what is the Lord's Supper? How did this all begin? If you turn back to the book of Luke with me, please, to Acts, uh, I'm sorry, to Luke chapter uh, 22. Luke chapter 22. In verse 1, Luke writes this. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover, Now, we probably all know what Passover is. It was the time that God said to the Jewish people, when they were in bondage under the Egyptian hardships in Egypt, I'm going to rescue you, and I've got Moses. He's, He's my man, and he will lead you out of this bondage and across the Red Sea and on their way to the Promised Land. But Pharaoh, of course, wouldn't let them go. So after nine plagues, God said, I will deliver a tenth plague to them. But I want every Jewish family to take a lamb and examine the lamb for four days, make sure it's the most perfect lamb, no spot, no blemish, absolutely perfect. And at twilight, the next day, I want you to slaughter the lamb. And I want you to take some of the blood before you cook the lamb up and have a meal, take some of the blood and take a little piece of hyssop, a leafy branch, dip it in the blood and paint the blood on the doorposts. On the side post, and the, we know it as the header or the lintel, on the outside of the house. And when the angel of death passes, sees the blood applied, he will pass over. Blood applied, pass over. Blood applied, pass over. No blood applied, the firstborn in that house would be would be killed. It was a terrible thing. Every Israelite family, every Jewish family that had applied the blood was saved. And God said, you must remember this. And to to remember that, they would celebrate this great feast of Passover. And they still do today, the Jewish people. So, if we look over to uh, verse 14 in the same chapter. It says, when the hour had come, he, meaning Jesus... Set down and twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So we know that Jesus was a Jew. So he celebrated the Passover with them all the, the whole time he was alive. And this would be his last Passover because he knew what was coming, he knew he was going to the cross. He wanted to celebrate this last Passover with his twelve apostles. So here he says, um, "I have this fervent desire. For I say to you, verse sixteen, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God." Then he took the cup and gave thanks and take the and said, "Take this and divide it among yourselves." For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So, in the Jewish Passover, they would take the cup and they would pass it around four times. Or sometimes they would take four cups and pass each one around once. This is exactly what Jesus was doing right here. He was celebrating the Passover meal. The Lord's Supper had not yet been instituted. But the next verse is where it all starts. Uh, Verse 19. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. This was something new. They had never heard this before. But it was very serious. Because he says it's a covenant. A covenant is a promise. You see, the Jews knew all about covenants. They had been sacrificing lambs for years and years and years. They knew how strong a covenant was. They would slay a lamb, cut the lamb in half, and one king of one area may stand there, another would stand here, and they would walk together together in between the animal, in the blood, and they would make a promise to one another. It might be, we won't attack you if you don't attack us. And the symbolism was that whoever broke that promise, what happened to the lamb, would be what would happen to them. So they fully understood how serious a covenant was. This was serious. This was something that Jesus initiated as the promise, the covenant, the New Testament covenant. And he says... Do this in remembrance of me. So he's telling them, you do this. So it's really in the form of a command. <clears throat> it would be a time of remembrance. It's all about him. It would be all about him to help these feeble people remember him and what was about to take place on the cross, how he would, he would deliver the final blow to the devil and shed his blood on the cross. So there's various names of the Lord's Supper. We call it the breaking of bread, as we saw in Acts. We'll see a little bit later in First Corinthians that Paul calls it the Lord's Supper. Now we also know it. Sometimes some people call it uh, a remembrance meeting, and that's that's a good name because um, we come here at the Lord's Supper to remember Him. But you won't find that term in the Bible. But it's okay to call it a remembrance meeting. That's, that's fine. We also call it sometimes a worship meeting. And that phrase isn't found in scripture either. It's really the Lord's Supper or the breaking of bread. But these other names also are acceptable and well known as the breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper, the remembrance meeting, or the worship meeting. <coughs> so the second point is uh, who is invited and why? Well, Jesus... Jesus gathered his disciples to the last Passover Supper to introduce this brand new uh, principle, this ordinance, if you will. It was to be a a group activity. You do this in remembrance of me. And they continued steadfastly in doing that. We saw that in the book of Acts when the new church was born uh, with with the giving of the Holy Spirit. All believers in the body of Christ are welcomed and instructed to please come to the Lord's Supper. And it's more of a command than an invitation. Yes, you're invited, but Jesus said, do this. In other words, you do this to remember me. You know why I said that? Because we are feeble people. We have, we have memories that don't last very long. I can tell you mine doesn't last very long at all anymore. But if you drive, if we didn't have this ordinance, this command from Jesus, we'd be out there on Sunday mornings in the ball field or going fishing or doing something else. But Jesus, he knew what he was doing, so he initiated this, the Lord's Supper. And we have the, the elements, they're called. We have the, the wine or the, the juice, the fruit of the vine on the table. And it reminds us it's a picture of the blood of Christ. It's not the blood, but it's a picture of the blood or a symbol of the blood. We have the bread, which is a symbol or picture of his body that was broken. It's not his body, but it's a picture or a symbol of his body. So the cup and the loaf speak of our fellowship with Christ and cause us to remember what he has done. How could he do this for us? Rich and I were talking about this. How could it be that he did this for us? So when you look at the symbols on the table, also known as emblems, it helps us to remember. So what happens if a stranger walks in and sits down and the Lord's Supper has already started? Well, you don't know if he's saved or not. So What do you do? Well, I know in Waterbury we, we, we don't challenge someone the Lord's table, we feel that they get a little piece of bread or or a little cup of juice um, and then we talk to them afterwards and find out are you really a believer and then explain the Lord's Supper to them. So I saved the bulk of the time for the last point which is uh, practical participation in the Lord's Supper. Well first off, what about the priesthood? Well at the Lord's Supper today a couple of verses came up about we are a kingdom of priests. We just uh, we finished from January through May. We studied First uh, and 2 Peter. And Peter tells us about the priesthood of the believer. So what, what that means is that when you become a believer, you have also become a priest. Now, you may not feel like a priest. And you may not think that you are a priest or do the things that a priest does, but every believer sitting here, whether it's man, woman, or child, that has Christ in their life, that's trusted Christ, is in fact a priest. That's what the Bible tells us. But what about young children? They Maybe they're 10 or 12 years old, they really don't know about a priest they they're learning so maybe we could consider them like a priest in training or something like that because they are because they are in training they're watching what the older people do and so they are learning how to become a priest well what does a priest do well in the old testament the priests offered sacrifices it was a blood sacrifice they would kill the the animals and the blood would be poured out in the altar the priest would go into the tabernacle and they would make sure the lamps were still burning. And they would change the, the showbread. And uh, they would do everything about around the temple. But there was this big curtain that separated the, the holy place of the temple from the most holy place, or holy of holies.
1: And there was only one priest that could go in there, and
0: that was the high priest. And he could only go in once a year with the blood of the Lamb, go behind the curtain, and pour that blood out on the Ark of the Covenant for the forgiveness of the sins of the nation of Israel. So that's what priests did. They offered they offered sacrifices. But in the New Testament, what does a priest do? Well, New Testament, priests offer sacrifices also. But it's not with animal blood. Christ ended that those animal sacrifices with his own precious blood. When that when Christ was on the cross and that veil was torn in two from top to bottom, which is impossible to tear, this was God who did this, gave a direct access into the presence of God. We no longer need a priest because we are priests and we therefore now should be offering spiritual sacrifices. Well, what is that all about? If you would turn with me, please, to uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. The writer, I believe it's Paul, we don't know for sure who wrote Hebrews. I I personally think it's Paul, but we don't know for sure. Writes in in verse 15, Therefore, by him, Jesus... Let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. God is well pleased. Oh, I got, I got the wrong, wrong verse. I'm sorry. That, but that's a good verse too. Um, Yes, there it's verse 15. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips. Giving thanks to his name. So, as a priest, we are to offer sacrifices by the fruit of our lips. You know, there's something about um, moving your lips when you're praying. Silently, I'm saying. Our brains work faster and can pray faster, than we can move our lips. But when we move our lips, it causes our brains to slow down and we can really focus on what's, what we're trying to say to God. Now, I'm not saying that we have to move our lips all the time with praying because when one brother stands up and, and, and prays at the Lord's Supper, we can all silently pray along with him And we can even interject more prayers in between what he's saying and say amen, amen, yes, Lord, help me this too. Yes, we can do that. That's the fruit of our lips, offering spiritual sacrifices. It's worship and praise, whether audibly or silently. As a priest also, uh, we now can draw near to God. In the Old Testament, there was only one priest that could go into the presence of God, and that was the high priest. So we are told to draw near to God. The veil has been torn. We're not only privileged to do that, but we're exhorted to. In Hebrews chapter 10, back a couple pages, in verse 19, it says this Therefore, brethren, talking to believers, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh. The veil is a picture of the flesh. If the veil was torn, Jesus' body was torn and ripped apart. And having the high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. As a priest now, we are told we should draw near to God. With a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and washed, and our bodies washed with pure water. It's a we, it's a privilege, but we are also exhorted to draw near. So how do we do this practically? Well, we meet each Lord's Day, at least in this church we do, at back of Waterbury we do, Other all assemblies I know of meet every Sunday, the first day of the week. It's called the Lord's Day. Are we told that we must meet on the the Lord's Day, on the first day of the week, every week? No, we're not. It doesn't say that. But the early church did set an example for us. They met on the first day of the week, every week. Now, I know that some churches meet and have the Lord's Supper once a month, some once a quarter, maybe some once or twice a year. But you know what Jesus did say? say, as often as you do this, you remember me. He didn't say as seldom. So I think the new church, uh, the early church, had it right. And so we followed that practice just like they did, of meeting every Sunday on the Lord's Day. Now the Jews, they, they have the Sabbath on Saturday, but Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. And so we celebrate and remember him on the Lord's Day. Jesus said, as often as you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. The early church set up the pattern and we follow that pattern. So, what about the Lord's Supper now? Turn with me, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul wrote this letter to the people in Corinth in Greece he had, he had established this church. Then he went off on another missionary journey, and he wrote letters back and forth, and he finds out they're not doing so well. They're getting caught up in all kinds of things that they shouldn't be. So they write letters to question him, and he writes back. And this is one of his letters, known as the first letter to the Corinthians. And in verse 20, he says this, Therefore... When you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. So we say this in sort of a sarcastic way. You think you're eating the Lord's Supper? This is not the Lord's Supper that you're eating, that you're doing, you're practicing. And if you look at the next verse, it explains why. Verse 21. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. Boy, that's a harsh exhortation from Paul. But what was happening in this new church in Corinth, they were gathering together to celebrate the Lord's Supper. But they were also combining it with their common meal of supper. So during their common meal, they would have their common meal and then they would have the Lord's supper afterwards, and they they called it a love feast. They loved each other; it was a good name, but abuses crept in. They began drinking too much wine, and they were getting drunk after their common meal, and then they would come to the Lord's supper and try to go before the Lord drunk. What an abomination! And then the poor people who were working late in the fields, they come in and, and there's nothing left to eat. They didn't share, have anything left to share with the poor people who came later. Paul exhorts them sharply, I will not praise you for this. This is not the Lord's Supper. Then he explains, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. Now, where did Paul receive this from the Lord? He was a murderer, right? He put Christians in jail. But Lord got a hold of him on the road to Damascus and blinded him and changed his heart and became one of the greatest believers ever wrote most of the New Testament. After he was uh, blinded by the Lord, got saved, he went off into the desert for a while. I think that's where he really got some instruction from the Lord. He, sa- he says that. I received directly from the Lord that which I also told you about For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. This is an ordinance that that Jesus wanted followed every. I believe every Sunday, every Lord's Day, because that's how the early church did it. These abuses were creeping in. Paul exhorts them. But when we think about this, about the Lord's Supper, way back in the Passover time, they applied real physical Lamb's blood to the doorposts, right? And they were saved. We take the spiritual blood of the Lamb of God and apply it spiritually to our heart, and we are saved. What a beautiful parallel that is. They applied the blood, we applied the blood, and we remember His victory through His death. Which sounds Unreasonable to the world, they don't get it. But he wants us to continually remember him. Another point is um, some churches, like at Waterbury, we meet in a circle. And there's nothing in scripture that says you must put your chairs in a circle or face them forward or on face to face. It doesn't tell you. I was thinking about this. And sometimes you see a, a, a painting of the Last Supper, and you see, like, six, six apostles here, and then Jesus, and six apostles there. But really, is that how you eat at a table? When you're eating at a table, you have the chairs all around the table, right? If you've got someone prominent, maybe you would have them seated at the head of the table. So I, I think uh, I kind of like meeting in a circle, uh, because it helps me to focus on the elements right in front of me. I see nothing wrong with how you do it. You have the elements right up here. You can see the elements, too. Sometimes, meeting in a circle, you can be distracted by somebody across the way, also. so there's, But it does, it does seem to, to help me, anyway. So, uh, Jesus said, uh, where two or three are gathered together in my name, here am I in the midst of them. So, when the elements are in the middle, it's, it's kind of nice. Not mandated at all. This is fine the way you're doing it. I'm just saying, that's, this I believe is the reason why some churches have their chairs in a cir- circle. Um, also, only the men or the brothers lead out in worship and praise and prayer. Uh, well, where did this come from? Let's look at an early church meeting. Uh, turn with me to 1 Corinthians uh, 14, verse 14, please. Verse 26, Paul writes this. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or three, at the most, three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there's no interpreter... Let him keep silent in church and let him speak to himself and to God. For let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. So you see, God is a God of order. He wants things done in an orderly way. Then he says, um, verse 33, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. Or did the word of God come originally from you, or was it only that it re- only you that it reached? If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord." But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. Decently and in order. Now, I I know women keeping silence sometimes is um, objectionable to some. When I was thinking about this, um, when we have the Lord's Supper... And one brother leads out in worship. Everyone else in the assembly is quiet. Everyone else is silent. Everyone else is saying amen or agreeing or trying to respect and honor the Lord. This is what the word of God says. My, my job is not to convince you. I'm just reading it to you so everybody uh, really needs to understand that as best that they can. Because God is a God of water and not confusion. Paul exhorts them to edify and build each other's up. Whether we're worshipping silently or audibly. If you're worshipping audibly and you're the one who's standing up, I'll tell you, that is a whole lot of responsibility. Because you're, you're leading the whole assembly and worshipping the Lord God. That's an awesome responsibility. But understand, every one of us is a priest. So whether one brother or another one is leading out, it doesn't matter. We are all priests and we are sacri- offering our sacrifice of worship and praise directly to him silently while this one may be audibly. Because God is looking at the heart. He knows everything I'm thinking. He knows my heart. He knows what the person is saying audibly. But he can certainly know our thoughts, and our hearts. It's an awesome responsibility, and God has every prayer of every priest that's in here. What about teaching? Well, we believe that the Lord's Supper is a time to honor, worship, and praise, and glorify, and, as he said, to remember him. It's really not a time for teaching. But I'll tell you, there's a lot of learning that goes on in the Lord's Supper. When someone stands up and reads a, a portion of scripture, that's edifying the saints as well as worshiping and glorifying the Lord. And we learn from the Word of God, right? But we had we had a brother one time. Um, he, he would stand up every Sunday, he had notes. He would stand up for 15 or 20 minutes. We finally had to talk to him and say, brother, you know, we're trying to bring up Our young people, to understand that they can, even if they stand up and say, Lord, I just want to thank you for saving me and sit down. There is no more humble worship than something like that for a young person to do. How are these these young people going to be able to ever do that when they see you presenting a 15- or 20-minute message at the Lord's Supper? uh, So he doesn't do that anymore. He's not with us anymore, actually. um, So, it's teaching, I think. uh, We hear teaching uh, through music. We read the Word of God during the Lord's Supper. We hear someone offer a verse at the Lord's Supper, and we have teaching. But it's not the predominant thing. The Lord's Supper is to remember Him. It's really, it's like, if the Lord was sitting right in the middle of us, and we were looking at Him, What would you want to say to him? Now, let me just tell you about all the blessings I had last week. Let me tell you what happened with me and how I helped this brother out and he was so great. No. That's maybe a testimony time at a potluck supper or a fellowship dinner or something like that. That's really not for the Lord's Supper. We want to reserve the Lord's Supper for the total focus on him. It's not the time for topics or exhortation. We want to totally dedicate this time to remember him. We identify with Christ as we are obedient to him. I'd like to read you something that uh, uh, from Harry Ironside on this. And this came from his little pamphlet entitled, The Lord's Supper. Here's what he said. It's important... First of all, to understand that that we do not come together to pray, nor yet to preach, nor sing or listen to teaching, nor to enjoy Christian fellowship. We come together to meet the Lord himself, to be solely occupied with him, to offer him the worship of our hearts and to remember what he passed through for us. Let me put it this way. Suppose that on a given Lord's Day morning, it were known definitely that our Savior, in person, would be present in our church building. How do you think real Christians would act on such an occasion? We would not be coming to listen to one preaching or teaching the word of God. Our one desire would be to see him, to fix our adoring eyes upon his blessed face. If we spoke at all, it would be to tell something of his sufferings for us and the gratitude and worship that would fill our hearts as we recall the agony he endured on the cross. No one would dare to push Christ aside and to take his place as the teacher of others unless requested by the Lord. I thought that's really good about the Lord's suffering. John says in John 4.23, True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Where the Father is seeking such to worship Him. Our worship is important to the Father and should be led by the Holy Spirit, not our Spirit. So, another point is we, we should be coming to the Lord's Supper prepared to worship and offer our sacrifices of praise and, and worship to Him. So, how do we do that? We, be, we prepare. Not that we're going to give a message or an exhortation or anything, but in our quiet time as we're reading, we're thinking, "Oh man, this is so beautiful. Can I share this? Maybe there might be an opportunity to share this at the Lord's Supper." And so you hold that. Maybe mark it or something. And and when does when do you start preparing? Sunday after church? Quiet times on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all week long we begin preparing. Not that we're preparing to make sure I've got something this Sunday. No, it's not like that. Have your time with the Lord, your quiet time, your Bible reading, your meditating and praying. Yes, the Lord may give you something to share. A.P. Gibbs in his, his book, uh, Worship the Christian's Highest Occupation, he talks about, uh, in Exodus twenty-three fifteen, 15, uh, God says, None shall appear before me empty. Then in Deuteronomy 26, he talks about first fruits being brought in a basket before the Lord. So, Edmund Gibbs says, It is pathetic indeed at a meeting convened particularly for worship to see so many who apparently have neither taken the time nor made the effort to put anything in their basket of gratitude. The long periods of silence in many worship meetings are often not the silences of worshipful adoration but the silences of spiritual poverty. Wow. Are we coming prepared? I know this, it's just an application from the Old Testament, but we sort of like have a basket that we want to have some spiritual uh, worship, remembrance and praise for the Lord. So how about another practical thing? Uh, coming to the Lord's Supper, arriving on time. So that you don't come and cause a bit of disturbance and interrupt someone who is a little bit weak in in their focus? I mean, my focus can easily go one way or the other. We want to avoid distractions. What about children? What about getting up to go into the bathroom? I mean, it's good to train the children to go beforehand and try not to go. I mean, these things happen. But when you get older, they happen more often. But if you've got to go, you have to go. But let's try to do it before and wait to the end so we don't interrupt and interfere with anyone. Well, what do you share at the Lord's Supper? Well, does it fit into how the Holy Spirit has been leading that particular day? Some people call it a theme. I'm not crazy over thinking of it as a theme, but you know what? There is sort of a theme that happens in the Lord's Supper. And, and it's, does it fit in? You want to, don't want to bounce all over the place. In the spirit of worship, is it, is it relevant? Is there a good prayer that's relevant? Think about this. Some hymns are much more worshipful for a time like that than others. I just picked out a couple like A Man of Sorrow, What a Name, is, Hallelujah, What a Savior. That's a wonderful hymn of worship, right? Helps us to remember him. But Trust and Obey that's a hymn about Christian conduct. I mean, we've sung that if the Lord suffers, it's okay, but we might want to try to get the best for Him, right? What about a passage of Scripture? It's entirely appropriate to read a passage of Scripture that will help us to remember with or without comment. If you're a young person, young man, if you want to stand up and, and read a little short verse on what the Lord about the Lord and remember Him. It's it's perfect and no comments necessary. But we need to be careful to speak about him, not about everything else. Also, we should allow time for other brothers. You know, sometimes I've been in some assemblies where people are popping up so fast that there's no time. You know, you've got something, so to speak, in your basket, but you can't do it because there's so much. There's nothing wrong with having some quiet time either. It really helps sometimes. Sometimes. If you do stand up, speak loudly and clearly. There's no microphones in the Lord's Supper, really. Speak. Some people can't hear well. Speak loud and clear and slowly. Do you share every week? You don't have to. You may. There's nothing that says you should or shouldn't as the Lord leads you. But just remember, other priests need some time to share also. Give some time and encourage the younger or the timid ones an opportunity, even if they just stand up and thank the Lord. What about reverence with the elements? We take the elements, we should bow our head and just give thanks and praise and worship. I've seen people that they take the elements, they pop the bread in their mouth, they're chewing it like they're Chewing gum and they're looking all around and talking to their neighbor. That's not reverence. What is, how, what, what's the Lord thinking about that? We're, I think we're dishonoring Him, what He's done for us, but we don't give Him the reverence that's due. Don't be disrespectful. Now, one last verse, and two verses, in 1 Corinthians 11, chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 27. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27, Paul writes this. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself. Not discerning the Lord's body. If you have sin in your life, you should examine yourself and confess that sin before you take the elements. I never, I, I never understand when some unless they're continually practicing sin. and they, they're at the Lord's Supper and they're going to practice it some more when they leave and they pass the elements. What's up with that? If you've got sin in your life, confess it. Get cleansed again. And then you are eligible for the Lord's Supper. That doesn't mean you have a free ticket to go out and start doing the same thing all over again next week. But we are told to examine ourselves and not be guilty of uh, dishonoring the Lord. I really believe that there's four major components of the New Testament church. The Lord's Supper definitely is a major one. If you're not here at the Lord's Supper, you are missing giving a blessing back to God who saved you. It's important. He said, you do this in remembrance of me. Let's give our awesome God the respect, the honor, the worship and praise that only he deserves. Fill your baskets and present them to him at the next Lord's Day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Sometimes your word is is hard, Lord, and we understand that. Sometimes we don't like it, but yet, Lord, you are always right. And you have declared us righteous. We are not righteous, but you have declared us righteous through the blood of Jesus. We thank you for that, Lord. And we do want to honor you and praise you, glorify you, and worship you. Help us to be good priests, Lord. Help us to offer spiritual sacrifices to you. Give us a little bit more... uh, Uh, advantage somehow uh, this week. Give us a little bit more progress. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.